Welcome to the Unpodcast. It's about you. This is your host, Caitlin DeBeer. I'm a life coach, speaker, psychology lecturer, and a mum of two littles. And I'm here to inspire you with self-management tips, secrets, interviews, and tricks around loving yourself, loving your life, yep, even the mums, and ultimately to motivate you to want to wake up every morning and live your beautiful life. Over to today's episode. Cool. Lou, thank you for making time to chat to me today. I, I so appreciate your time. I know that you are busy or run a busy practice and a busy mom. So yeah, thank you for this time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Lou, to start off with, I, I always ask, um, instead of me sort of introducing you, I always ask the people that I interview my guests to introduce themselves. So do you mind doing a, a quick intro for my listeners? Tell us a bit about Lily. Sure. So I am obviously originally from South Africa and studied physio here before moving to London, all the way there to meet a South African. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so we're obviously now back in South Africa. We were there, I was there for nearly 13 years and we've been back in South Africa for just over a year. I have specialized in doing women's health physio, so treating the muscles around the pelvis. We at university had one very brief lecture on what women's health physio actually was. This guest lecturer came in with a set of vaginal weights. We all thought this was absolutely hilarious I'm and sure. I was pretty mortified at the thought that anyone would actually specialize in treating the pelvic floor. Mm. Um, but yeah, here I am all these years later and this is what I've specialized in doing. So mm. I help women and men and children that are struggling with any kind of pain in the pelvis. So that can be pain at rest or uh, pain with intercourse. And I treat people that are struggling with urinary and fecal incontinence or urgency. And then with the children, I also help kids that are struggling with bedwetting. Mm. And then, as you said, I'm also a mom. So I've got two little girls, Poppy and Ida, who are nearly four and nearly two, who mm. I had in the UK. And then we moved back here when, they, yeah, when Ida was just four months old. Mm, sure. Amazing. I love how you said that. Sorry about, um, about going into a career like adversity that horrified you. I remember sitting in a lecture hall and telling one of my mates that like, this must be, as a lecturer, it must be the worst job you could sign up for because no one even cares that you're there and <laughs> you don't even know what your name is. And here I am. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I get that, how things change. Um, although my students probably still think the same about me. <laughs> so, anyway, Lou, um, yeah, I, I love what you do. It's such a new, um, a new sort of thing for me to understand the pelvic floor at all, um, to even sort of know what it is, I suppose. And I think, obviously, my pregnancy, especially my second pregnancy, which was nasty, um, taught me a lot about the importance of it. Um, to start off with, do you want to start by just telling us a bit about your own pregnancies and your connection with your body during and after pregnancy, sort of before we talk about everyone else's bodies? Yeah, definitely. So I think that having been pregnant myself, obviously, and having two vaginal births of really big babies, which I'll discuss in a bit now too, and then breastfeeding, has just made me a better women's health physio in a way that obviously no other courses could do because once you've experienced it yourself, then you really do, do understand just the whole journey and what it entails. 
So my pregnancies, I suppose, were not horrendous. I felt like I, I just I felt sick a lot of the time, but I never vomited. I often wished I would vomit because then I thought maybe I'd feel a bit better, but apparently you don't feel better when you vomit. <laughs> um, all I did, I think, in the first trimester with both was just eat all the carbs. Like if it was beige, I was totally into it. So in terms of the relationship with my body, I really struggled with how much weight I put on. And with the second pregnancy, it, I didn't gain as much weight. But I remember saying to my husband, I have so much admiration for people who are really overweight and manage to exercise because I'm feeling like it's hard work just to even move around. Um, yeah, so I think it was a very interesting journey for me just noticing how different my body felt with everything. And then when it came to the labor, the midwives afterwards laughed. They said, we have never seen someone so concerned about their pelvic floor during the birth. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that Poppy was big. And, you know, in London, you only get two scans. You have a 12-week scan and a 20-week mm -hmm. scan. So it's not like here yeah, where um, you have multiple scans throughout. And they kept telling me, no, it's the average size baby, average size baby. And I was like, no, guys, look at me. Number one, I'm the size of a whale. But I just knew that I was carrying a big baba and my labors were really quick. So during the labor, I was saying to the midwives, I was like, this is, I think it's a big baby and it's going quickly, it's going quickly. We need to be careful. We need to be careful with my pelvic floor. Not that it probably would have made any difference, but I suppose I was lucky that because they were quick and simple labors, I didn't have to have an epidural. And obviously in the UK, they allow birth when it's midwife led to unfold, I think a lot more naturally than they do here. So like where I delivered my girls, there wasn't even a bed in the room. There was just a birthing pool sure. and a mat on the floor with a big bean bag. So I was able to get into the positions that, you know, my intuition drew me into, which was um, high kneeling for my first and then squatting for my second. So it meant that my pelvic floor had a much better better opportunity to be able to open up more easily because obviously if your tailbone is free while you are in that second stage and the pushing was I prefer to say the breathing your baby out then you get they say you know some of the, the literature says you're getting an, an extra 25 percent space in in the pelvic outlet yeah. so I think even though my girls weighed 4.4 and 4.3 kgs <laughs> really big I was very fortunate to have very um yeah, very easy, straightforward births, slight tear with each of them, but um, yeah, and really good recovery afterwards. Mm. But again, just very interesting to experience what so many of the ladies I treat do experience. And I think I'm just very blessed. I've had a very positive birth experience because a lot of the ladies I see have had quite traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking at an antenatal group last night and I was saying, I think that in South Africa, our pendulum has swung too far towards cesareans. I think the latest statistics are 90% cesarean and KZN. But in the UK, the pendulum's too far the other way. Mm -hmm. And there, I think we're seeing almost vaginal birth at all costs. Yeah. And we're seeing lots of ladies there. I felt like I saw lots more ladies that were traumatized because they felt that it had been pushed too far in the insistence that they needed to try and have a vaginal birth. And here I see lots of ladies who feel that they've been unempowered and bullied into cesareans. Yeah. So I think we need to just try and if we can pull the pendulum a little bit further back mm. towards the midline for, for vaginal birth in KZN. Yeah. But also that said, 
the peace that you have around your birth has far less to do with how you've delivered and far more to do with how empowered you felt in the process. So if from the get-go you know in your heart you would be more comfortable with the cesarean, then you must absolutely go go for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying. And I mean, obviously myself also having had two kids, I I can literally like picture it all, <laughs> let alone like imagine, I can literally picture it. Um, yeah. And like while you were saying like tailbone, I'm like literally clenching here on my chair, trying to get in touch with all these things that I'm not familiar with. Um, and I think for my births, um, just thinking back, I also had two naturals. And I, I think I, had I known more about pelvic floor, uh, I probably would have approached them differently. And, and they were lovely births. I was very fortunate. Um, but I, I definitely didn't try in any way to protect my pelvic floor during pregnancy or after. Um, and I now am very aware of that when I jump on the trampoline within three seconds. <laughs> so, um, oh, the trampoline. Yeah. And I think, you know, for most of us, we are really disconnected from our pelvic floors. It's, it's one of those things that you don't really ever think about until it's giving issues. Mm. and pelvic floor dysfunction is so much more common than a lot of people realize because you know one in three women leak urine accidentally Mm. one in eight women leak feces accidentally and up to 75 percent of women have pain with intercourse at some point in their lives Mm. but i think because everything in the pelvis is considered you know pretty taboo not many people are talking about it and then I also find that when ladies go to the gynees and they do open up about it, often the gynee will jump to recommend surgery. And I'll say to ladies, why did you have this done? And they're like, oh, I don't know. The gynee said I needed it. It's almost like we disconnect from our pelvis and we assume that the doctor absolutely knows best. And what we see more and more with all the mesh scandals that have arisen in the UK and the US and Australia with ladies who've had terrible side effects from having vaginal meshes used for um, incontinence or prolapse repair is that really often the gynees don't know best. And so the more conservatively we can treat things, the better. Um, And I think, yeah, I think social media is doing an amazing job at empowering women to speak up for when things aren't feeling quite right. And we see more and more physios doing this kind of work too. So hopefully in the future, everyone's going to have a lot more access to this type of physio and maybe we'll eventually end up like countries like France, I think, is leading the way. So in France, if you've had a baby, you get up to 20 sessions with a women's health physio after mm. your birth until you're having pain-free sex and you're not leaking. Sure. Because the French have realized if they can get onto things in that early postpartum period, they are saving so much money later on down the track in their national health system. Yes, that's amazing. I haven't even heard of that. Sure. Yeah, so I'm sure some people are listening and they're like, what is this pelvic floor and where does it live? And, you know, what are we even talking about? So if we backtrack slightly, can you give us some, um, some info just sort of about the pelvic floor and, and what we'd need to know about it? Um, and yeah, obviously, definitely. I suppose, pregnancy, how it's affected and, and after. For sure. So the pelvic floor are a bowl shape of muscles that line the base of your pelvis. So if you imagine that they attach to the pubic bone in the front of your pelvis, they attach to your tailbone at the back, and then they attach to either side of your pelvis, kind of just in from your sitting bones. So if you imagine, um, actually I often get ladies to visualize just like a normal bowl, 
So if you imagine the top rim of the bowl is your pubic bone, your hip bones, and your tailbone, and then the base and the sides of the bowl are this pelvic floor muscle. So you've got three different layers to it, but if you think that they're kind of all intertwined into each other, so if you think of it as this bowl, which then has three openings in it. So it has your urethra, which is obviously where your urine comes out, then your vagina, and then your anus at the back. So the functions of the pelvic floor are to physically support all your pelvic organs so that things don't fall out through your skin. It is also to be able to shut off when we get an increase in pressure in our belly so that we don't leak urine or feces or pass wind accidentally. And then also to be able to relax when we do want to go and wee or poo. And then it also plays an important role during sex for pleasure. And um, the ladies that we're seeing that are struggling with discomfort during sex, it's often because there are knots or trigger points in the muscles. So what lots of ladies don't realize is that, or oh, and men, I actually treated a, a man this morning with, with pelvic pain, when in the same way that we can get knots in our shoulders um, and in our neck, we actually get knots and areas of spasm within the pelvic floor muscles too. So it's often connected to how we're breathing, and breathing is always the first thing that I look at at anyone who's coming to see me, just because more and more we are understanding that the diaphragm and the pelvic floor connection is probably the most important part of how the core is functioning. Mm. I think the core has had a lot of, a lot of publicity in the last 10, yeah. 15 years. And what we're seeing now is that it's not just all about the abdominals for the core. It's probably most importantly about the diaphragm and the pelvic floor and then working in the deeper abdominal and deep back muscles too. Sure. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like, like a lot of, a lot of info. Um, and, and I suppose as people are listening to this, I suppose it's trying to connect with how this all works and, and how your body, I don't know handles it or whether it's good or bad or how how does that work Lou how does like the the body change or what would make someone's pelvic floor healthy not healthy yeah I'm probably using the wrong terminology (laughs) yeah so I think obviously pregnancy puts a lot of strain just not only onto the pelvic floor but onto our bodies in general so during pregnancy we've obviously got that relaxing hormone that's come to the party to allow your uterus to expand to allow your tummy muscles to expand and widen for your baby baby to fit to grow inside but also that relaxing hormone tends to work on kind of all the muscles and ligaments around your lower back and your pelvis. And I think our research is about 70% of women have some kind of lower back pain when pregnant. Lots of ladies will know exactly what I'm saying if I say any kind of pelvic girdle pain or pain just in the front of the pubic bone. So we know that that pelvic floor muscle is subjected to that more, so just becoming a little bit more lax or, or looser while you're pregnant because of the hormone, but then also because of supporting that growing weight of the baby. So lots of ladies will find that when they are coughing or sneezing or jumping in the last trimester of pregnancy, they might be leaking a little bit of urine accidentally just because that pelvic floor isn't managing to come on strongly enough to shut off around the urethra. When it comes to um, the birth, obviously if you're having a vaginal birth, then the pelvic floor needs to really open up to allow a space for the baby to be born through the um, uh, through the vagina and uh, that vaginal canal and then if you've had any kind of tearing into the muscle then that might affect the integrity of the muscle if you've had an episiotomy then that also will be affecting the integrity of the muscle 
We also know ladies who've had a, who've pushed for a very long time are um, at slightly higher risk of having uh, pelvic floor dysfunction afterwards. And then if you've had a cesarean, more and more we're understanding the role of fascia in the body. So we now know that if I'm moving my left fingers, it's probably also doing something to my right toe. Mm. So it makes then total sense if you are having an incision through your lower belly, through all those different layers of connective tissue, especially again that fascial connection, which is like the sausage skin that surrounds the muscles, that cut along your lower belly can also then have an impact on the tension in your pelvic floor. So I tend to see far more ladies who are struggling with pain with intercourse after a cesarean than after a vaginal birth. And I think it probably, yeah, it must be to do with how that fascial line is being affected and then the muscles are are tightening up Mm -hmm. as a result of that. I also see it more in the ladies who feel that, you know, the ones who had a little bit more of a stressful or traumatic birth, again, particularly the ones that felt that they weren't heard, that kind of their wishes were were disregarded or felt that they were a little bit bullied into the way that they their birth played out and I find they can often hold a bit more tension in the pelvic floor and I think this whole side of how we can hold emotions in the body is really fascinating I feel like the more of this work that I do the more I just am reminded over and over that the mind and the body are not separate they are all entirely the same there was one study they did where they got women to watch scary movies where they had EMG muscle readers on their shoulders and also on the pelvic floor and the vagina. And as the ladies got scared in the movies and their shoulders tightened, so their pelvic floor was tightened too. Um, we definitely do hold stress and tension in the pelvic floor too. Uh, just coming again back to just the changes that aren't related to pregnancy and birth, I would say constipation probably does more damage to pelvic floors than anything else. And the ladies I treat who've not had babies before that are struggling a lot with pelvic floor dysfunction, the common denominator is usually constipation. So if any time that we are straining to push a poo out and increasing that pressure in our belly, we are weakening the pelvic floor muscles and weakening the vaginal walls. And I say this every day, I think constipation is probably the most underrated epidemic of our nation. <laughs> so, one said no, okay. <laughs> um, sure. So, so in terms of that, yeah. everyone needs to be using a footstool at home when our knees are slightly Yeah. So, just putting a little stool under your feet. Yeah. So, putting a stool under your feet so knees are higher than your hips allows the muscle that wraps around the rectum to relax mm-hmm. and then it's easier, easier to poo and making sure you're not holding your breath when you poo. So making sure that it's that exhale as you gently tighten your tummy muscles to help you to poo. Because if you're shutting off your glottis and holding your breath to poo, then it's just putting too much pressure down onto your pelvic floor and vaginal walls. Sure. And not taking your phone to the toilet so you sit there for three hours. <laughs> yeah, and also again, I read something the other day saying that um, research has shown that women tend to hold their breaths while reading emails. Oh, so also, um, breath holding, yeah, is just no good for pelvic floors in general. So yeah, definitely no phones on the toilet. <laughs> sure. Okay, so I mean, in terms of now everything you've said, um, 
obviously I can I can start to hear and and I know this this stuff and I've heard it before but for those that are hearing it for the first time you can start to see why pelvic floor is so important and um and I suppose if if it's damaged in any way um that the effects of that are are nasty and you might not actually realize it's pelvic floor that the problem is um or it might take a long time to get there so what would you advise for women that are pregnant how do they protect their pelvic floor during pregnancy and then we can move i suppose straight straight into early postpartum sort of that process around yeah from pregnancy to birth to postpartum and how to protect that that area definitely okay so for all for all of those stages as i've already just mentioned constipation if this if the biggest thing you take away from listening to this is to try to not be constipated you will be helping your pelvic floor immensely so making sure you're having enough water making sure you're having enough fiber and if you're needing to then taking some some stool softeners too and obviously using your footstool while pregnant Avoid any exercises or activities that are making you leak urine because if you are leaking while you are doing that exercise while pregnant, then it means that your pelvic floor isn't able to come and meet the demands of that pressure that's happening into your belly, of the the pressure that's developing in your belly. So then you might be doing um, long-term damage to it. Avoid anything that makes you feel like you're having any heaviness or dragging into your vagina and avoid exercises that you're having to hold your breath to manage to do. Also, in terms of your tummy muscles, because of the way that that fascia or sausage skin in between your rectus abdominals is widening and thinning to accommodate your baby growing, any exercise that you're doing that's making you have like a little tent or dome down the midline of your belly is then too difficult for you to be managing. So, I mean, doing sit-ups is like the worst thing you could do while you're pregnant. And then in terms of a more just practical day-to-day, make sure that you're rolling onto your side to push up to get in and out of bed and not using your abs to pull yourself up into a sit-up type of position. Postnatally, I would say rest, rest, rest is really the best thing that you can be doing for all your connective tissue. I think, you know, these cultures that really encourage this 30 or 40 days of resting and being waited on. I know it's really not realistic for the majority of us, but the ladies that I see that have just been up and about and go, go, go really quickly, immediately postnatally tend to struggle more. Mm. And then again, the avoiding constipation Mm. and gently checking in with your pelvic floor and not doing exercises that you know your pelvic floor is um, struggling to meet the the demands of the task. So again, if it's making you leak, if it's making you um, feel any heaviness or dragging there or holding your breath to do it, again, if you're getting that doming in your midline, then try and work with someone who can help you to better manage those pressures and to connect to your pelvic floor and strengthen it. And again, what I was saying earlier about France, in an ideal world, everyone is going to see a woman's health physio. So so usually ladies come and see me after they've been for their six or eight week check with their gynae. Then they come and see me. We go through how their breathing pattern's going and what their pelvic floor strength is like. If they need to work on lengthening their pelvic floor or strengthening their pelvic floor, or um, just working on the timing of the pelvic floor turning on when they're doing different activities. 
And then also just looking at how they're managing the pressures through their abdomen, if there's anything we need to try and work on just with trying to help their tummy muscle separation to improve. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And do you think, Lou, like every mom would benefit from coming to see you? I mean, not you. <laughs> Obviously, you would be great, but a pelvic, you know, a women's health physio after birth. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I really do. And I think I, I often say the ladies who come and see me who are having absolutely no pelvic floor issues, those are my favorite type because that means that they have valued the investment in themselves because they know that by knowing where they're at postnatally in terms of their pelvic floor, their tummy muscles, then they are yeah, empowering themselves for the rest of their lives and, and helping their bodies to function in the best way that they're able to. Mm. I also find that it's, it's a really good way of just getting back in touch with your body. Yeah. And especially for those of us who gained a lot of weight when we were pregnant, or if your birth didn't play out that the way that you wanted it to, and you almost feel like your body's failed you in a bit of a way, then it's a nice way to be able to just reconnect to your body to you know, be a bit more mindful of the way that you're moving and doing things and prioritize a little bit more self-care for yourself. Mm-hmm. And especially in a time where your body is quite deplete from the pregnancy, from the birth, especially if you're breastfeeding and caring for a little human to be able to actually receive some care from someone else is really important postnatally too. Mm. I love that. I mean, I'm such a a big believer and my whole brand is is around sort of loving yourself or your whole self. And um, I run these courses for mums and I just see it again and again that it's almost like by signing up for the course, they give themselves permission to invest in themselves. And it's such a, it's such a beautiful thing to see. Um, and my course doesn't focus on, on physical per se, um, and more, you know, emotional, mental, psychological stuff. But in turn, it has such a knock-on effect when you connect with you again. Um, I think as, as moms, we give so much. And, you know, physically, it's huge, pregnancy yeah. and, and that postpartum sort of process. But also, you know, in every way, we give so much. So to actually turn inwards is, and I'm literally preaching to the choir here, um, but um, it's yeah, it's such an important thing to do. Um, you mentioned um, just now about about mums and and going through maybe births that they they didn't hope for, or maybe having an expectation that that wasn't met. Um, I recently spoke to a friend who you know, one of my best friends, um, who had a really hard first birth and didn't connect well with the process and how it was handled, and then second birth just had this incredible experience, um, even though it wasn't the type of birth she'd hoped for. And she mentioned to me that you have this amazing process that she wished she'd known about. So I thought, what a perfect opportunity to share with people who who maybe need to heal a bit um, in terms of maybe the emotional and the physical side of not having a birth that they hoped for. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So as I said earlier, I feel like the longer I do this type of work, the more I'm just fascinated by how much we hold in our pelvic floors. And I was seeing more and more of this playing out. And then I discovered the work of a lady called Tammy Lynn Kent. She's a women's health physio in the States who is incredibly knowledgeable just about how our emotions can manifest in our bodies. And, um, through learning some of her work, what I will often do now with the ladies that I treat, especially those that have 
had quite a traumatic birth is that we do, so I also should maybe explain what it actually entails coming to see me. So lots of ladies are like, how do you actually even assess the stuff? So when someone comes to see me, I first have a look at their posture and standing, and then um, they come and lie down onto my bed and I check their tummy muscles and we have a look at breathing and what muscles might be overworking. And then I do an internal exam. So for this, you'll be lying on your back, your knees are bent, and then it's not like going for a, a gynae check with a, a speculum or anything that um, they're putting inside. I uh, don't put anything inside to open up the vagina. It's just two fingers. Um, it shouldn't be sore. It's usually not sore. And with my fingers inside the vagina, I'm then assessing what the strength of the pelvic floor is, what the muscle length of the pelvic floor is, because very often we're not moving our muscles through the full available range. And this is often, again, linked to tension, anxiety, and it's often the cause of pain. And then, so with my fingers inside the vagina, I can feel where there are areas of, as I mentioned earlier, like trigger points or, or tightness. And using some of the work that, that Tammy Lynn's done, I get ladies to then almost do like a visualization where we go back to thinking about their birth and how it played out. And obviously before this, ladies are filled in a pre-screen, so I have an idea of how their birth played out before they came, and then we talk about it. And then while I'm doing like a, a physical release of the area of tension by just putting some, some pressure there and doing like a little bit of a gentle massage, we think back to the birth, and then we imagine that we've got a little bubble around us, and then we imagine that... Um, You've got someone there that you feel really trusted and supported and safe with. And then we imagine the baby, your child or baby. I did recently with someone who's got a teenager. And we say, now imagine your child exactly as they are today. And just let your body know that they're here and they're safe. Mm -hmm. Give these muscles permission to let go because they're here and they're safe. And it is incredible how I just feel that whole pelvic floor just soften and melt and relax. Sure. And then often ladies can feel quite emotional with it. Mm. Often they cry from it. Some ladies will almost have like shake a tiny bit from it. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And a lot of ladies find that it's, it's quite a turning point for just feeling a little bit more peace and closure around the birth. And again, just getting back in touch with their pelvises and back in touch with their bodies afterwards. Sure. When we look at, I suppose, the more evidence base behind this, there is research that says that getting people to actually connect to the part of the body where you are doing a release tends to have longer carryover. So I will often say, imagine that there's a ray of light coming off the end of my finger, softening, melting, letting go. And I find even just getting, you know, getting ladies to be more mindful of what I'm doing and getting them more involved in the, in the process, we tend to see better results mm. from it too. Mm. I can totally imagine that. I mean, I'm, um, I'm like a super practical, you know, kind of person and, um, I have always struggled with connecting with my body. I think also being a runner, um, I'm used to like killing my body, not caring for my body. Well, I say being a runner, not every runner is like that, but often you're training through pain and, um, you know, competing and whatnot. 
Um, and the process of yoga, just totally off topic, but yoga taught me to connect with my physical body again, or maybe for the first time. Um, yeah. And so when you say that, that like ray of light, I know it can seem like almost airy fairy to some people of like, how can you picture something in your body? But at first when I went to yoga and they said like, breathe into the pose, say you're like stretching your back, breathe into your back. And I'm like, how the hell do you breathe into your back? You know, like now yeah. I'm fully breathe into my back or breathe into my leg <laughs> or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. It's an amazing thing to actually to just slow down a bit and, and connect with your physical body, um, which we often, I feel, just sort of run from, ignore whatever that is. Um, so and really, if as a woman you are connecting to your vagina, you are connecting to your root. Mm, mm. That is like the basis of who we are. Mm. And again, like if you had had this conversation with me like seven, eight years ago, I'd have been like, oh, I would never have been into all of this. But I think... Mm. Yeah, there's no, there's nowhere else in the body that we can, that I think that we, we see as strongly just how powerful the emotions are and the structures. And I think with all the new pain science research we're seeing, with the whole biopsychosocial model, it's just, it's incredible. And the number of ladies where we get them to work through things like a difficult friendship or changing a job and then their pain goes because any pain that's older than three months is not made in that part of the body where it's sore, it's made in the brain. Mm. And if you're, you know, our brains know two states, you're either running from a lion or you're not running from a lion. And the more we can dampen that nervous system, the better. Again, coming back to um, Tammy Lynn Kent, this amazing physio in the States, she talks about this balance of masculine and feminine energy and how it manifests in the pelvis. And so the more masculine energetic traits are the logical, the practical, the like pushing through pain, the go, go, go. Really what modern society makes us behave as. Mm. Just having to go, just to suck it up and continue. Mm. And then the feminine is more the intuitive, the more playful, the more creative. And the, the big imbalance that I see in the ladies that I treat is that we think that caring for everyone else is a feminine trait, but it's not. It's a masculine trait. The feminine is to receive. And a lot of the ladies that I see are struggling to receive care from other people. And again, this receiving care even from yourself. Mm. So again, what does the internal massage do? It's helping you to get back completely in touch with your body and a little bit more out of that masculine thinking, doing logical, practical, and more into that more deeper, intuitive state, which is where we need to be more. And I think it's, it's all very well that we can put a tampon in and no one knows you've got our period. And, you know, we can take the pill and we don't fall pregnant. We can give formula so we can go back to work. We go through menopause. No one even knows it's happening. And we go, go, go. But our bodies have not changed. Our bodies are the exact same female bodies that we've been living in for hundreds of years. And historically, if you had your period, you were retreating to a tent with all the other women in the village and you were really being waited on and you were having this time to reconnect and, you know, pregnant women's dreams were revered. Now it's like, oh, you're pregnant, tampon and go. No one even knows what's happening. Yeah, Yeah. sure. I have no doubt this is going to challenge plenty people to start 
thinking differently about their vaginas. <laughs> you know, I'm still so uncomfortable with the word. I giggle and I'm 30. <laughs> so um, it's, yeah, it's so good, Lou. Thank you for doing the work that you do and for, um, and for being so open about it and, and making it not seem as scary as many people think it is. Um, even though it's part of the body that, that we should never be scared of or ashamed, um, which I think also, yeah, is a biggie. Yeah, and I think exactly, I think, you know, the vagina does also hold on to shame. Mm. Shame and fear. Yeah. 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 But the awareness is rising. Things are changing. Yes. I feel like people, you know, the feminine is rising, definitely. Mm. And it's exciting. It is, Yeah. Lou, any final messages that you'd want to leave um, my listeners with, or more specifically, I suppose, mums with anything you haven't mentioned? Um, actually, maybe it could be nice to think about just how to connect to your pelvic floor. Mm, so I think that, well, the only way I now teach pelvic floor is with connecting to your breathing, because I found that the way that we used to teach pelvic floor exercises were just to get people to hold, release, hold, release. And a lot of women weren't moving their pelvic floor through the full available range. So I often explain it as imagine if you're at the gym and you're doing a bicep curl and you're holding a weight. And instead of starting with your arms straight and bending your elbow all the way up, you start the exercise with your elbow already quite bent and then you're just moving it close to your bicep. You're not going to be able to get as good a movement obviously of the muscle or as good a strengthening of the muscle if you're not moving it through the full available range. Mm. So as you breathe in, I want you to think about, so first imagine that you've got a red kidney bean outside of your vagina and a red kidney bean outside of your anus. As you inhale, think about opening vagina, opening anus as if to let a fart out. And then as you exhale, Think about lifting those kidney beans up with vagina and anus. Again, inhale, open vagina, open anus like you're letting a fart out. Exhale, lifting pelvic floor like you're holding a fart in. What should also happen is if you just put your hand on your tummy now, so it should be that as you inhale, open vagina, open anus, your belly should rise. And as you exhale, your belly should fall as you lifting pelvic floor like you're holding a fart in. And if your tummy's tending to go the other way, then you're doing what we call reverse breathing, which is pretty common after we've had a bubba, but we need you to be working on that because then you're probably also going to be having quite tight shoulder muscles. But by connecting to the pelvic floor, it helps to just retrain that diaphragm and breath connection to help to get your abdominals moving the right way and set you up for a stronger core. Sure. That's awesome. I just did the whole thing, yeah, sitting in my chair. Cool. Um, Good. That was lovely. Thank you, Lou. I so appreciate your time and insights. Um, can you tell everyone where they can find you, your practice, and obviously online as well? Yeah, thanks. I work from home in Lelusia in Durban, and you can find me as Lulu Physio on Instagram or Facebook, and my website is lulufizio.com. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for all the awesome work and awareness that you are sharing through all your platforms too. Thank you. Thanks, Lou.